0: Imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously, and every molecule in your body exploding
1: at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. With your host, Conan Neutron, broadcasting from a secret
2: underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
0: A gigantic middle finger. Do everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and power. The thing is, though. If you don't lie, you're, gonna you're going to go on a killing spree shop in the it, 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 it,
2: it,
0: it. Confidence of a hero
1: or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain, which
2: could not be more professional. It's all one, That's to go my life too. that's okay. It means, it means it, it
0: means it. it. You know, that's my take on the
2: end of That's like a science thing, right?
0: Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. It is time, yet again, for the one, the only,
1: Protonic Reversal.
0: And welcome to it. If you already are here, we appreciate that as well. <laughs> Thank you for sticking around. If not, welcome to the show. always appreciate new folks coming in. Got a doubleheader today. This one its a return guest, but a great one. One of my favorite guitar players of all time, Mr. Dwayne Denison of the Jesus Lizard. Denison Kemble Trio, Tomahawk. Uh, really awesome player. Awesome guy. Really interesting fella. So we're going to... We're going to get right to it. I'm going to play a song first, and... I'm come back, talk to uh, Mr. Dwayne Denson. Thanks to everyone for sharing the show around. Sharing the show around. Ugh. Thanks for everyone that's been sharing the show around to folks. That's how people find out about it. Uh, it's highly appreciated. Again, the Patreon, slash Protonic Reversal. Get the episodes quicker if that's a thing that you want. If it's not a thing you want, you don't have to do it. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. Plain and simple. That's where we're at. That's what it is. Okay? Sounds good? It's alright? It's alright. <laughs> Called the Jesus Lizard, and on the phone with me right now, we have none other than Mr. Dwayne Dennison. Dwayne, welcome to the show, man. Thanks coming in. How you doing? Good, dude. Get, getting getting through in this these very weird times. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, indeed. It's, it's it's nice. People seem to be getting some value out of the talks, and the and the show gives people something to do, it gives me something to do. So that's that's always nice. But uh, you know, there's a lot of rest Great, and anxiety yeah. in the world, and uh, that's a. Uh, that's not unique to me, but uh, how are you doing? That's the question.
1: Oh, uh, as, as well as can be expected, I've I've been sort of idle for a month, um, but it hasn't been killing me. To be honest, uh, I've kind of, uh, I guess, I'm in a position where I wasn't. I'm not desperate for money right now, so I'm not hurting that way. And uh, having some little, a little time off to just kind of. Be. take a break and not have to work so hard and do so many different things. is kind of nice, uh, in a way I've been practicing more and, uh, doing weird, you know, it's been a little dull. I'm, I'm at home with my wife and my daughter. Right. And my wife works from home. And so, uh, you know, I do some music stuff in the day and maybe take a walk or work out or something and watch TV, listen to music, put puzzles together and, mm-hmm stuff like that and read and, uh, you know, it's getting a little dull and we have to watch. We don't get on each other's nerves, um, (laughs) you know, but, and watching, we're not, you know, um, not running through things too quickly, food supplies, that kind of thing, kind of pacing ourselves, rationing ourselves. You know, I'm sure everyone probably is doing the same thing out there. So, uh, you know, we're, we're coping, And do you find that
0: people, uh, other people in the community around you are kind of reacting the same way? Are people treating it seriously? Are people uh, abiding by the the edicts to not go out and behave as if things were normal?
1: It seems like it. It seems like it took a a couple weeks, at least here in Nashville, for people to take it seriously. And um, it was kind of distressing because we could see there were pockets of, it seems like pockets of resistance. I don't know if it's because where they're getting their news news from, or if they think this is some sort of conspiracy to, you know, make the economy bad or whatever it is. Um, (laughs) but I think people, you know, yeah,
0: I'm laughing, but it's not funny at all, but it's, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah. But, uh, it seems to be, there's definitely a lot less traffic and I don't see groups of people doing things and, uh, as it should be, I suppose. So, uh, I, I think we'll be turning the corner soon. I think the the way things are projecting, my wife keeps up on this more than I do, but, um, the cases are going to keep, the cases are rounding the corner, but I think the deaths are going to keep going up for a while.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, people who are already sick and this and that. So unfortunately, um, So we'll see Uh, if I I would hope that in a way this is a learning experience for people, if nothing else. And, you know, it should be right. You should get something out of this. Um, How, how uh, our lives are so uh, dependent upon the goods and services provided by certain people that we take for granted. Right. There's that. And also, it's kind of good I, I, if everyone just sort of steps back and takes it easy for a while and, you know, don't st- step off the rat race for a while, step off the wheel <laughs> if you can, um, and just sort of let mellow out a little bit, take a breather, take, be, become a little more meditative or contemplative. If you can, I, um, I realize some people are are just absolutely strapped, and that's unfortunate, especially financially, and that this is just killing people, wiping them out, and that's very unfortunate. Um, I, I uh, you know, I empathize. I was in that boat for a long time myself, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm fortunate in that um, my music musically. So I've got some recording projects that are in the works. Um, oh, I, I didn't have any shows. I didn't have any shows canceled. I didn't have anything like that affect me. And I'm so unfortunate that way. Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, that's actually relatively rare. It seems like it's, you know, it's affected, affected a lot of people in music in that way. And it, it seems to be a very common story. So it's, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that was lucky because obviously there's nothing lucky about it, but it's, it's definitely, uh, it could be, could have been worse if you had uh, tour dates to cancel, of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a different position than I was a few years ago. I've been working, uh, in the public library system of Nashville. Um, so, you know, we're, we're shut down for a while, but it's not wiping me out. Uh, we'll be back soon enough, I'm sure. Um, but um, yeah, in, the, in past years, this is the busiest time of year. This is right when the touring season is starting. Right. And into the fall <laughs> and early winter. And, you know, for a lot of people, especially you would time it to have your album out and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, this is uh, really ruining a, a lot of musicians. It's unfortunate, especially if you're making a living very precariously and barely getting by. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm older. I've got some savings. I'm, I'm not as wiped out by it. So,
0: yeah, and it's something where, uh, and of course, the focus. This shows a music focus show. We talk to and about musicians, but there are there are many other industries that are just flat out getting decimated with this. And it's, I mean, it's terrifying. I think justifiably terrifying
1: at that. It, like, it, it is. I, I think about, I mean, I've friends like restaurant things and waitstaff things and hotel, but uh, yeah. you know, everyone's, yeah. everyone knows about the restaurant, world and the, the club world and the airlines and that, but I'd never, it just the other day I was thinking, what about all these hotels? The <laughs> totally empty. The yeah. hotel and it's, it's empty yeah. and they're, you know, they're, what do they do? I think some people may have had to scramble and find themselves some, at least temporary employment in the delivery. It seems like the delivery service is bigger. It's humping right now. Um, that whole world, grocery delivery, food delivery. I mean, yes, it's unfortunate, but it's kind of a, a go-to thing for a lot of people that I've seen around here anyway. So, um, I don't know if you try to, make do. I've been giving uh, guitar lessons online sure. through this company Less- Lesson Face that I've been um, associated with for a few years and um, so that's kind of, you know, it gives people, students, people who want to take lessons, something to do and things to work on and it gives me something to do and a little bit of income. So, uh,
0: Right, and that was relatively you know, new made- when we, sorry, when I talked to you last, uh, which was sometime back, and I mean, do you find it still like You know, is it, are there people looking to learn Jesus Lizard songs? Is it, you know, mostly folks, are people trying to find ways out of maybe corners that they, that they feel like they painted themselves (laughs) into creatively?
1: So far, my new batch of students, it's more like, um, people, guys who have been playing guitar for a while, who Mm -hmm. are familiar with, you know, Jesus Lizard Tomahawk, who want just a a, a new, maybe a new direction. And I know, and I've got exactly what they need, like as far as exercises, and things that are I like to think are conceptually interesting and physically sort of demanding as well, and so these are things I've collected over those decades and have written out and all that stuff so
0: and you've um, given there's a few of those that are up for uh up for free as well, like just sort of you know whether it's you know teasers or just kind of give you an idea of of what kind of thing you can expect. there's a few things that you've had that are up there that I thought was pretty fascinating that you you know can get a kind of feel for like. What the you know the way a preview to a movie might be, (laughs) sure before the experience. Sure, Um,
1: some of those yeah sort of brief tutorial things are out there. Yeah, there's there's a there's a few freebies out there. Um, I'll probably do some more at some point, but um, you know one thing at a time.
0: And so you you and you alluded to the fact that you had some stuff that, that you were working on. Is there anything that you're working on that you can speak to
1: right now? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, there's a Tomahawk album that's in the works and, um, uh, the song, the album, the songs are there. Um, most of it is tracked right now. We are working on Mike is laying down vocals and doing some different things. And so after that, it will get mixed and mastered and released. I I don't know when, um, I'm hoping this year sometime, but um, you know, this has been in the works for a couple of years. It's taken time um, for various reasons, but we're, I think we're in the home stretch. Um, You know, we still have to get it together, artwork and things like that, but uh, um, it's happening. And so that there is definitely uh, some new Tomahawk in the, in the not too distant future.
0: And, it, it, of course, at this point, I believe uh, Mike would have been out with faith no more <laughs> if things were different right now. Uh, I think so. Yeah. I, and, re- and I know that specifically because I had Billy Gould on uh, just recently, and, and he mentioned that extemporaneously. And I saw after his episode went up that, uh, indeed, the those dates have been, we'll just say, postponed, <laughs> but are not happening yes, anytime unfortunately, soon.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So this is gonna be the first uh tomahawk thing since, uh, uh, since Oddfellows, right, which is the where you um the one with trevor um
1: yeah, in the two thousand twelve yeah, and Trevor's on this one as well, so um definitely uh-huh yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's been a while, but um you know everybody's got other things going, i guess yeah yeah
0: and, and so is there other plans for? assuming that we are
1: allowed to tour again <laughs> their plans um, to take yeah, it the there, at some there, point? there is no plans uh, for anything beyond that right. um i think it's just aiming on finishing it and getting it out yeah. um no we haven't you, you know it's not it's not outside the realm of possibilities certainly enough but nobody's really um planning on anything yet so i i leave it open um Knowing from the history of the band, we even if we, we won't necessarily make any plans or talk about it, but then once the album comes out, people will be interested and offers will start coming in. Right. And as they had, for instance, for The Jesus Wizard, even years and years after the fact. Sure. Um, and eventually they just get hard to ignore you have no, you can't come up with any more reasons to not do it.
0: (laughs) Right, Um, the justification.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you justify not doing something. Um, The fact that, and it's, you feel fortunate because you said there is an actual demand for what you do. And that, and that's a very lucky position to be in. Um, Very fortunate. So eventually you say, well, okay, we'll do, we'll go do these things. So we'll see what happens.
0: And it's fascinating to think about because, you know, just the last few weeks seem like months, right? Like my my sense of of time is is all askew now. Yeah. But last time I had you on, you had just broken the news that the Jesus Lizard was back to playing shows again. Uh, was
1: that like 2009 or something
0: no no it was uh it was when you did this this last round you
1: did uh, it was okay we did we did some in okay we did the 2009 Did it did a big worldwide thing then we laid out for a while um and then we did some in 2017 2018. And the, at the very end of last year, like between Christmas and New Year's. Right. So
0: it was about, it was so. like June 2017, maybe? Uh, that, 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 that seems okay. about
1: right. Okay.
0: And uh, it seemed like I, I, unfortunately, was not able to attend any of those, but it seems like those shows all went well. There was a whole new generation of folks who got to see what the Jesus Lizard uh, could throw down.
1: Um, how, yeah. How was okay.
0: that How was that experience, uh, especially compared to, you know, the, the last go-round and uh, the first time?
1: Um. Still, still great. Um, we still, you know, enjoy playing together, and I think we still sound really good. Um, if I may say so myself, um, we get together, and within a day or two of rehearsal, we start sounding like ourselves again. And it seems like it's not the first. You know, you can practice on your own at home all you want, but <laughs> when you get together and play those songs, it's a different thing. Right. And. It, if you haven't played together in, say, a couple of years, you seem like you're fighting to get to just get the feel right. Even if everyone's playing the parts right, it has to all line up in a certain way that the feel is there. Um, and it's a very organic thing and it only comes from time. And so but then I found that with us within a day or two, it it felt like it wasn't work anymore. Like I like we didn't have to over concentrate to make something sound good. Um, and that's where we want to be. And so, um, and then the shows once we, and then once again, playing in front of audiences too, um, that's a different thing. And what we found that within a show or within one show, it was back where it's, where it should be. And in some ways, in some ways, these, um, reunion shows, uh, I might even say, um, though, I don't really study live recordings. I'm not a fan of doing that. In some ways, they're better um, um, than maybe even, in some ways, than the than the old days because maybe we take it. Well, I we t- always took it seriously, but people just aren't aren't drinking as much and aren't doing drugs as much. <laughs> we, we were never really heavy.
0: Sure, yeah, you know no, what I'm no, saying. I what saying. We, you know, yeah. we were
1: never. Um, we always, I thought we we liked to party, but we were pretty good about reining it in when we had to. But when you're younger, you you test your limits maybe more often, and you you know you pay for it, you pay the price.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, with these later shows, we knew that people really wanted, they were taking it seriously, and we had a legacy to live up to, as well as the fact of being older, and you can't do those things anymore. You just can't, you won't take it. You can't get up there and do your best when you're hurting day after day. So in some ways, it was maybe even tighter and more focused than even some, the old days. Um, so there's a trade off there to be had, you know, when you're young and crazy and there's a certain manic sort of energy or grind or whatever you want to call it that, that you only have for so long, but then with, with experience come comes other things and you, uh, you, you're patient and you, you let things sort of reach their own like velocity on its own and you, you have confidence that it will, and you're not, you don't worry within a, well, within a song or two, it doesn't sound, seem like it sounds that good. Like what it will just relax. Let (laughs) let the song, let the songs play themselves and, and you'll be fine. Take your ego out of it and let the group, let the group's vibe take over. And and, um, I think when you get older, you think, at least I find myself thinking that way.
0: And did you find that some of this stuff was almost like muscle memory when it, when it came time to coming back to it?
1: Um, some of it was and some of it wasn't. There's always, you know, I think with any band you've got your repertoire and some songs are easier than others. And some, usually there's maybe just a part or two that is tricky in, in songs. And those are the ones that you have to focus on a little more. Um, we're not the kind of band where every song is difficult. You know what I mean? Like, um, a really proggy band or a band that has, you know, we have a fair amount of change time changes and this and that, but we're not, we're still a rock band where there's still a lot of four, right. four and a lot of, you know, chunking the chords out and grind repetition. Um, which but there's weird a syncopation
0: and things like that. I mean, there's, there's different yeah. things to kind of, to make it interesting and vital, but yeah, it's ultimately, yes, rock of course.
1: Art, yeah. Of course. Um, so some of it you have to concentrate a bit more than others, and then you have to catch yourself. And a lot of times, mistakes happen when you don't, when you're. It's a mental thing because you're not paying attention because you're play. It's it's say oh this is an easy one, and you find yourself you know looking at the audience or thinking about something. Your mind wanders. Next yeah. thing you know, you've missed the change. <laughs> um, right? <laughs> like what? So okay. so. And that, um, I can honestly say that didn't happen to me once in any of the recent shows. Good. And, you know, um, and I don't recall it really ha- hearing it anywhere. Maybe David Yao a little bit here and there, but that's his thing. That's part of his thing. And he's always pretty good about catching up right. and coming back around. So, um, whatever. I-, I-, I don't mind if a band is really laying it down and sounding good and having. Um, and rocking out, I don't mind if things run off the rails a little bit here and there. I think that makes it cool. That makes it show that it's real, Yeah. and that it, it's just not scripted. And they're not playing the tracks, and they're not—it's not pre-recorded, and et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's soul to
0: it. There, there's uh, you know, it, it ebbs and flows. There's there's it it can sway in the way that only a live show can, versus just playing a record <laughs> very loud. I'd yeah. Be- I certainly, you know, I, I find a lot of value in that personally. And I, I find that the best bands are bands that like, maybe they're not going to be, you know, a hundred percent like letter perfect at everything. And you wouldn't want them to be because sometimes those, uh, those little things can actually make it more of a vital experience and like remind you that you're in this ephemeral moment that, you know, in some cases will never yes. happen again.
1: Yeah. Um, for instance, here in Nashville, um, my wife works in music business too, and occasionally I will accompany her to go see something like a showcase or something. Often country acts or up and coming sort of things, and mm-hmm. um, and it just some, they almost always annoy me, and, and <laughs> I, I sure I think why aren't this is supposed to be a country band? Why aren't you more of a badass? Why mm-hmm. aren't you?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or I'm seeing this is supposed to be a rock band. I haven't heard one person scream. I haven't seen anything get broken. I haven't seen anyone fall down, um, or anything. Any equipment malfunction? Like what? I, I want. I like the the random accidents. Yeah. Part of it, um, and, and, and some, and I, you know, uh, something to sort of make it show that it's not a hundred percent perfect. And you shouldn't try to do that because the only way that you're going to have those really perfect things is if you're being kind of cautious you know um and when you're overly cautious that's it, it just kind of sucks the life out of it
0: yeah and it feels like well and i think people that come from for lack of a better term like a diy or punk rock background are going to be more appreciative of the vitality that that can bring versus you know sure. I, I i don't necessarily know too much about uh you know the Nashville music scene or or what a a country band would or would not care for but it, it almost seems like it's a wasted opportunity for some of these artists to not tap into that, to want that like sort of clinical perfectionism or uh, be buying into this idea of whatever is on the radio, the commercial radio or, or whatnot. I mean, do you find that that's a mindset down there or am I just projecting about all of this?
1: Um, there's different things at play when I see people in situations. Sometimes I think it's just the backup band are just mercenaries and
0: Higher guns. they're
1: they're hired and they just want to play well so that they can move up to a better gig mm. or they're, or they're local gut pros and they just want to, they just want to demonstrate their skills for the sake of getting more endorsements or, or that kind of thinking. And, right. and that that's utterly foreign. If you've come out of a punk rock or underground do it yourself scene, that, that would have never entered the, the, equation. You want to do something unique, original, exciting and that's what counts. And if you get some goodies out of it in, along the way and get your props and whatever, fine. You know, take advantage of it. Sure, I have. Um but that's not your what you're that's not what you're going for. You're not trying to get in magazines. If you do, <laughs> great. You know, right. sure, take yeah. advantage of it, but that's not the the goal. Shouldn't should um, be the goal, right? Yeah, and you know, we have, even as a guitar player, there's parts that are intricate where I like to try to play them perfectly every time, and that is the goal of certain things, but other things, it's not. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be um, sort of loose and noisy and and chaotic, and especially with a singer like David Yao, if something was real, if we were very clinical and processed and all that, it would just sound... Awful. Wouldn't it would compress, be a different band,
0: yeah. <laughs> it would be, yeah. It wouldn't work. Well, and that's what's yeah, so. something that's kind of interesting with Tomahawk too, is obviously uh David Yao and, and Mike Patton are both very skilled frontmen and skilled vocalists, but they're very different styles. So it seems like it allows it the song. Yeah. yeah. I mean you like <laughs> if you were to make like a, a diagram of it, they would be on diametric sides of the of the circle. Uh but it seems like yeah. this you you allow the songwriting to go different places because of that.
1: Yeah, in a way, sure. In a way. Uh, It's not that different. Typically, if I'm writing something, I'm writing some, whatever I'm writing in the time is for whatever project is the most pressing at that time. I don't usually think about, oh, this is, it usually works out that way where, hey, this, this is better for this guy than for that guy. But I don't ever set out to do it. I just typically will just set out to come up with new things
0: Yeah, turn it and find a
1: way to make it work.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, yeah. That, make, that makes sense. So do you ever, have you, so your skills as a guitar player are, are, are well known to be uh, iconic, iconoclastic, if you will. And that's, that's my words. You don't have to agree with that. I'm just I'm throwing that on you. The, okay, <laughs> but there are folks that have taken a lot of influence from certain parts of your playing and and certain bands that have made key things of especially some of the 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 more key eras of the Jesus Lizard work uh they've they've brought that into their play. do you hear that influence if you hear those bands are
1: you aware of this at all um not so much anymore um i suppose i did a bit here and there for a while um i would hear bits and pieces of things that I thought might've been influenced by us more like rhythmic patterns.
2: Okay.
1: Um, Maybe a certain type of trying to do something harmonically that was a little more jarring than what you typically might do or having, maybe they try to have the vocals be a little more loose um, in and out of time, but I don't really hear that angle so much. It's more from the musical side um, and I, not so much anymore. Plus, I just don't go out to see bands as much as I used to. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm older. I got a kid in school, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I just can't. I just can't. Um, <clears throat> and I don't have the time. But and and I, the music I listen to, I, I still listen to a fair amount of music. But most of it isn't even rock anymore. So you know, I'm I'm confessing here. <laughs> um, it's okay. So. <laughs> Um, every once in a while someone will say hey have you heard these guys check it out and I'll go oh okay Um, it doesn't bother me or interest me either way you know what I mean Um, it's I I, I would hope so I would expect it um, because I was the same way you know when I was younger I would pick up things from listening or seeing a band various bands little things here and there from lots of different bands would make an impression on me. Mm -hmm. And then they sneak in. And sometimes you're, they're sneaking, those influences are sneaking in without you even realizing it. Right. And it's funny to me. um, The worst, I I think one of the worst things you can do, not worst thing, but whatever. If you ask musicians of what their influences are, they never tell the truth. (laughs) They always, they never do. Oh, they well, never do because directy and hank williams
0: and like, okay yes okay, fine, yes
1: whatever. they're always yeah <laughs> they're always yeah they're always mentioning these far-flung exotic you know rarefied names and the reality is you go to their house and they've got you know cheap trick in the, in the cd player or yeah, they've yeah. got Bow wow wow they've got a Bow wow wow tape in their car Right. And, and stuff like that. And meanly, yeah. And they're talking about, you know, the art ensemble of Chicago and, and Stockhausen. Yeah. And, you know, you look at, and he's got a George Benson thing in his car, you know. And a lot of times the influences are subconscious. They sneak in without knowing it. You write something and you don't realize it sounds like something else until much later. And, and um, the only thing you got to watch with that is if it's, if you've written something or a series or a batch of songs and you're listening to a demo tape, recording, whatever, if it starts to remind you of something and it reminds you of things you don't like, then you better get rid of it. <laughs> right. you know, you better,
0: yeah, that's a bad sign. You better sign.
1: dump that <laughs> as quickly as possible.
0: That's certainly a sign it's just a bad
1: one and, and you, should, you should heed the yeah. word. <laughs> or you're you're listening to it and your friend says, "Oh man, this is oh this one's cool. It sounds like you know the second Thin Lizzy album." You're like, uh, "No, does it?" Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, not that you know. I don't hate Thin Lizzy, but I no, don't no. think that's necessarily a good thing to try to be. You I, know, everyone's oh Stooges, oh this and that. It's like, oh no, you don't. Anyway,
0: I, I used to say I, I love you know Thin Lizzy is a band that like, I love so much. I. I aggressively try to not sound like them. You know, it's like one of those things where it's, you want to honor something awesome by not just ripping it off. And
1: yeah, I by certainly letting them, letting them own it.
0: Yeah. I, and for me, I certainly have a, you know, a, a sort of uh, phobia of unintentionally even ripping something off, you know, just coming up with something and be like,
1: Oh, that's great. Did I write that? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then you know. Sometimes I think if you really, really like a certain sound or a certain style, then and you've you've thought about what it is you like about it, and if you can come somehow take it to the next, take it to somewhere that they didn't, then yeah. that's to me that's okay. Yeah, you know, that's worth to develop it. Right, take it to take it to a new place or in the next level or whatever you want to call it. Don't just you know, ape it. And sometimes it's hard not to sound, because that, that's what you like. Those are the things you like.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, if you're playing, if you're, especially for guitar, it's got six strings and you run it through an amp, you know, unless you're just doing something radically different, radically different tuning or whatever, some of that is inevitable. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But when it's, you know, an obvious, conscious, obvious, blatant copy um,
0: Civil War reenactor.
1: You- <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> I mean, and that and that sort of—it's almost like you know. What did they have? They used to define pornography. You know, when you see it, right? <laughs> sort of like, it, there's a difference between taking influence and doing something with it versus just a shamelessly aping something that came before. Yeah,
1: and and the the nice and the reassuring thing, at least about that, is that everyone does it. It's not just a rock thing. composers do it i uh jazz musicians do it i hear it all the time and they're the first and, and some of them would admit it and was it i don't know if it was stravinsky who said if you if you copy one person, you're a plagiarist. If you copy, if you copy many, you're a genius.
2: <laughs> and and right, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, everyone is. You are the sum of your influences. And to me, learning how to make music, it's like learning how to speak. You imitate what's around you until you find your own thing. And it's usually it's a combination of of things around you. And you know, everyone's it used to be everyone's things were different depending on where you lived, but then everything has become so homogenized through, you know, first it was radio stations became nationalized, you know, like one company would own all the big rock stations in all the big cities. And then it went to satellite and then it went to MTV and things like that, where the same music was everywhere. And it didn't quite used to be like that. Even when I was a kid, because I'm 61, Growing up in the Detroit area, the radio stations there played things that they didn't play in other cities, or maybe it was regional. I think like Detroit, Cleveland, Chicago were kind of on the same wavelength. New York, Boston, Philly were kind of in the same wavelength. You had regional hits and regional stars, yep. and then some got bigger. And that I don't think it's, quite, it's, it's not the same. Um and that that era is gone, so whatever
0: it's certainly not the same on on that larger level. I mean, I think you can get a little bit of that with the sort of smaller cir- smaller and smaller circles that kind of develop their own unique taste, but it has nothing to do with regionality and there's certainly no greater greater reach, so it's it's a cruel irony because there's instant availability for everything, but it's also just a fire hose of you know the good, the bad, and the ugly, as they say, right
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: oh well and and you know that's that's a state of affairs That that's just where we're at like it's not
1: like it's anything um yeah i mean there's there's still i guess you just have to go out more and go to and have a local scene right <clears throat> where bands influence each other people influence each other just based on that and then maybe it grows from there um in the early the old punk rock days it seemed like every town had its own scene its own stars if you will right. its own local stars who were influential influence leaders um it's funny all these things have new the new um terminology for things that we've all seen all our lives <laughs> like same, influencers yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> influence you mean you mean people who influence influential personalities yeah. strong person yeah oh, gee, i don't know what that is or that one that kills me is sweat equity.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, you mean working your ass off for nothing for a long time in order to make something happen? Gee, well, what is that like? <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these, these right. ridiculous terms.
0: Uh, would you mind speaking to the Dwayne Dennison chassis from uh, the electrical guitar company and tell us a little bit about how that guitar came to? came to pass
1: oh, if you want to if you want to guitar geek out for a minute here yeah it's um, not
0: it's not a gear podcast or anything but uh, the, the, the no. folks do like some of the gear talk as do i so
1: okay um well i um when i was in the jesus lizard early on i got kind of introduced well, actually let's go before that i've been aware and have owned various um aluminum based guitars for a long time um And back in, uh, God, the late 70s, I think, even before I was even in college, I had a, um, what back then was an early Kramer that had an aluminum neck. Very heavy, very awkward, very poorly balanced. Sounded great, but um, it was kind of hard to use. Got rid of it. Kind of got away from it for a few years. Now I'm in Chicago, the Jesus Wizard recording with Steve Albini, and and he has this, odd guitar with an aluminum neck and what's that it's a travis bean they were partners with kramer and he broke off and this and that played and i really liked it and i liked the sound um there were others available it seems like for some reason in the midwest detroit chicago milwaukee there was a lot of those around and and they weren't expensive they weren't desirable um and so i bought one i bought a couple of them back then for you know under like under six hundred dollars
0: right is which is, um, which is absurd you, you can't for people get, that that are not familiar with current prices it's completely yeah, they're
1: like six yeah. thousand they're, they're thousands <laughs> now um um and the same with the amplifier i had in the early days of the jesus live i played high watts which are yeah. you know hand-wired english amplifiers and you couldn't give them away at that time really? everyone was playing other things and i had like a a vintage like a beautiful condition you know, for $500, the whole thing, and now it would be $5,000 for that whole thing. Anyway, um, so I played those on and off for a while, um, and I still had some of the problems that I had run into with the Kramer and like weight and balance and this and that. So 20-some years ago when I moved to Nashville, I, I sold a lot of stuff off, and I said, okay, I'm moving to a new town, playing with some new people. I'm going to start a new life and get some new gear. And that's what I did Um, and this went on for a while and then when we started the word got out we were going to do some Jesus Lizard reunion shows around 2009 I was approached by uh, Kevin Burkett who is the owner and operator of uh, the EGGC electrical guitar company and he said I understand you don't have any of your Travis beans I make aluminum guitars the entire body and neck are aluminum and I had heard of them before like other people doing that, uh, Valeno and others, but and he, was, he says, I'd like to make you one, and and so we actually talked about specs. I had worked at Gibson Gibson Guitar Company for a year, back in 2005, and so I knew a thing or two about what I wanted and about design and what I was looking for. <clears throat> Weight, balance, the na- angle of the neck, all this, and so he actually listened to me, Kevin did electrical, and we came up with this model, my model, called the Chessie, and um so i've got a, a couple of them and uh yeah it's all aluminum semi hollow um you can get your choice of pickups uh humbucker p90 style and they just sound great and we really worked on getting the weight and balance and feel to where it was more like how i thought it should be um after working at gibson i there were some i noticed some designs just felt better than others and played better, had better intonation. And there was definite reasons for it. And I felt like I want to apply that to this. And um, so we did. And so that's what I've been playing. And his company is, seems to be doing quite well. He, from what I understand, he he's always behind and has, a, has to work really hard to keep up with the demand for those things. Um, and. Other people are starting to play them too. Not necessarily my Chessies, but like Buzz Osborne is a big uh electrical guitar company EGC user. Um uh, I think Steve Albini mm-hmm. has has one or two um and there's others out there all the time. Um
0: Buzz uses one and yeah, Melvins There's there's a there's a whole bunch of folks that 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 utilize. I mean, I have one myself also. Like they're they're wonderful. Okay. It's, yeah, that's it's I have yeah, a
1: there's a very um interesting to me kind of a subset of the the music in the hard rock, whatever metal underground uh, world that is into those types of guitars and uh, there's a little just a little movement of it, and uh, EGC seems to be at the epicenter of it. and there's other companies too, from what I hear. Um, I haven't tried this stuff. Uh, I'm happy with what they've made. I think it's really good. They sound great, feel great. You know, it, it's different, and it's it's kind of cool, isn't it? Um, I have, you know, there's mixed feelings. Some people, you know, traditionalists, don't want to let go of wood, and I understand, and wood is great, and, and I still have other wood guitars, obviously. And, and
0: um, Yeah, you're allowed to have both, as it turns out.
1: <laughs> yes, and, and um, the, I don't think it's a question of um sustainability or the ecological side of it because nowadays any guitar company or really any furniture company whatever anyone building things from wood that stuff is pretty carefully sourced all that stuff is grown on farms and it's pretty highly regulated at this point so you're not necessarily saving the world by not playing wood you know what i mean And if you think about it, aluminum has to be extracted from the ground and processed and all that, too. It's not like it's, you know, it doesn't grow on trees. So, um, you know, I I, I don't think that is a question at all. It's just just something different that has unique sound qualities that um, once you start playing them and getting used to hearing it, you find that you, they really work well for certain types of music. And, um, I think that's why so many of us are, are fans
0: drawn to it. And and I think that, uh, so there's, there's like the Denison neck too. Can you just very quickly explain uh, how, how that, yeah. how that's different yeah. than the standard?
1: Um, how that's different is I wanted a chunkier neck similar to that of a Gibson ES 135 which I'm a big fan of, um, but in order to keep the weight down and the balance, we had to make it hollow. So the neck and body are hollow. There's a, it's, there's a solid um, There's a block in the middle that the pickups are mounted on. So it's consider, You know, I would consider it a semi-hollow body guitar. It's not totally hollow. It's got the resonance but the neck of it. Itself, but yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and,
1: yeah, and the neck is chambered as well to make it lighter and to uh, – help with the balance between the lower, the bout of the the body of the guitar and the neck of the guitar. Oftentimes with aluminum, in the past with me, aluminum neck guitars could often be neck heavy. And when you're standing there with a guitar on a strap, it would dip, it would do what we call a neck dive. And it would be hard to control it when you're playing, very awkward. Uh, And so we've managed to, to avoid that.
0: I was going to say, I remember those, especially with the series ones, when Kevin was just kind of getting, when Kevin was kind of getting things online, I was like, this is fantastic. And I would probably accidentally hurt someone if I ever <laughs> played this regularly. Uh, yeah. Cool. I, I, I appreciate you going into that. I, again, this isn't like a gear podcast or anything, but people do, you know, it, it's it's interesting. It's a fan, and as far as having, <laughs> you know, a signature yeah, sure. instrument, it's, it's a fantastic instrument and it's very kind of cool and you know, mysterious looking if you're not in the know.
1: Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look obviously. I mean, depending on the finish and that, but those the chesses don't to me look obviously aluminum. It's got the yeah. one that I have. You know, the tip they're white, and then they have the uh, the fingerboard has a like an acrylic sort of finish on it, dark. So it almost from a distance you would just think it was a standard wood guitar, um, but it's not.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's something where did you find that you modulated your way of playing very quickly with it or was was there any modulation required at all as
1: far as nothing, nothing at all, nothing at all. Um, I, it just, if for for playing rock and for certain types of chords, certain types of, um, I don't know, patterns, it just seems to work really well. Um, I think they could probably work for most anything, though. It's funny, I've been playing, since I've been home and I have the time in quarantine, sometimes when I practice, I'll play along with these uh, jazz play-alongs, you know, different things, like this is the Coltrane set or this is the Thelonious Monk set or this is just an all-blues collection. And um, when I play the Chessies clean with a dark sort of jazz sound, it sounds pretty good. It sounds good even like that. It has a very sort of clear ringing sort of the overtones are very pure. Um, it doesn't sound like a typical like woody vintage jazz guitar, but it still sounds pretty good to me. And, um, and the other thing that uh, we haven't mentioned about those things is when you're traveling a lot, especially if you're flying, yes, you can throw that thing in a flight case and you throw it in a plane and I don't give it a second thought.
0: You don't have to worry about it. it's I, the same stuff as the airplane. <laughs> it's,
1: it's yeah, great. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't worry about it. Um, and and that's that's a that's a good thing,
0: definitely. And it's it's something where, and again, I'm not I'm not welcoming an electrical guitar company as a sponsor or anything, but I just think it's really interesting right. with a for a player such as yourself that's been around for a while. To, you know, getting getting that input is you know vital for someone just like curious about that. So, uh,
1: you know, to, yeah, it was nice. Oh, go ahead, sorry. It's nice to be able. to... No, I'm sorry. No, it was just nice to be able to. Um, have some input on, yeah, on a couple you, of details.
0: You can call the guy up uh, that's making the guitar. You know, that's fantastic. You don't like, tr- you know, uh, just try getting that in another custom shop. Like you to have the input of like the, the design and every element of it. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I, and I, I am always leery of uh, repeating subjects when I've had folks on before, but I honestly don't remember if we talked about this before. Dennis and Kimball trio, was my introduction to ornette coleman
1: <laughs>
0: okay in, in a cool way and i really uh, I, I quite favor those records the dennis Kimball trio and the dk3 stuff uh do you consider uh-huh. that a closed book as far as uh, any iteration of that group or is that something you think you might come back someday
1: um i don't know exactly um I don't really talk to Jim very much Kimball anymore where we just have different lives, separate lives. Um, I, I certainly, you know, don't have any reason there's, there's no ill will, but it's, there's nothing like that going on. I just, you know, we just don't really talk that much. Um, I sort of miss doing that kind of a thing where I would never be so, um, have the nerve to say, say, call myself a jazz guitarist. Um, that was a, a somewhat of a reasonable facsimile, uh, I, I guess you could say. It was very, it was sort of jazz-ish, jazzy, um, in the same way that maybe things, other things that I liked from that, from the, back then, whether it was the Lounge Lizards or some oh, sure. of the yeah. Mark Rebo's stuff, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. where it just it was, gave me a chance to do things that I just didn't get to do with the Jesus Lizard, which improvised more and um, just play a little more intimately, play a little quieter, cleaner, and um, experiment with some different things and you know it started off just as a <clears throat> indie soundtrack project, and then we actually played live and it actually kind of worked next thing I know we're we're on tour opening for morphine you know playing a <laughs> right. you know, thousand seat places <laughs> playing jazz festivals yeah <clears throat> we, we played jazz festivals uh, you know we didn't we didn't go out and you know ask for this stuff. It came to us just from those albums. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there's a part of me, I wouldn't mind revisiting it. And, um, or, but at, at this point, it's all pra- it's practicalities too. Um, with the Jesus's or Tomahawk, let's face it, those bands, they make enough money <laughs> when we play live yeah. that, you know, we all live in different cities. So it costs money to get together and rehearse. It costs money to do those things. And when you're in a band like that, you can do it because you make enough money to pay for all that. Um, Something like the Dennis and Kimball Trio, a much smaller scale, you know, it would take, you know, to make, even though it's only one other guy, um, just getting together, rehearsing, stuff like that. There's practicalities involved. I wouldn't mind doing something like that. Another, a similar thing at some point, maybe based with people here in Nashville or other people I know, um, Nels Klein and I have talked about doing something for a long time we oh, actually wow. got we actually got together and improvised at his house one time I wish we would have recorded it because it was it was I we both thought wow that was really good why didn't we record that you know just kind of freewheeling I was out in California sniffing around and I just went and went over to his house um and so we've talked about doing something um and there's other guitar players I like. There's a guy Paul TFO Allen here in town who's really good. We've done a few things. Um, I don't know about the DK3, but it seems like reunion things, people like that. It would get immediate attention um, in certain circles, I suppose. Um, I don't know. I, 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 but I, I I still practice and play that kind of stuff from time to time. Like I've been home a lot lately, so I've been practicing you know, these jazz play-along things that people use. Uh okay. Oh, I went through the Joe, the Joe Henderson book the other day, and lately it's been a Charlie Parker thing. Some of them I can barely keep up with. Um, uh, and I'll get these other sort of jazz swing sort of play-along things just to keep my, you know, just to keep my foot in the water in that world. And, uh, you know, you have to do it a lot, and you have to really – focus and listen and every now and then I'll think hey that sounded pretty good I should do this and then I'll have a day like this afternoon where I could barely keep up with this Charlie Parker thing and I was like oh who am I trying to kid you know what what am I doing here I need to uh. anyway so we'll see yeah is that, that's an interesting question but um, <clears throat> I don't know I don't know I never rule anything out anymore I've learned to not do that
0: I find it well, yeah, that's a good point. I, I find it interesting too that you know there's a whole legion of Nels Klein fans that only know from from his stuff on Wilco, whereas you know those those Ripper albums, those like, Nels Klein singers, and Nels, that, that guy is that really interesting, just fascinating guitar player too. So yeah, well, I guess what I'm saying oh, is if you, go, need, if you yeah. need me to crowdfund something, you know, to <laughs> to get you guys to make a record together, I'm in. Let's do it.
1: (laughs) Oh, we could do it. We could do it easily and cheaply, I think.
0: We'll see, you know. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. That guy's a fascinating, fascinating – I mean, you both are fascinating players, but it's something where there's a few ways that I think that that could go, and I would also love to see what ways it would go that I would not be able to expect. That would be very interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, something like that, you would want – Some of it would have to be totally just free, you know, just freely improvising. And then some of it wouldn't. Some of it I would want it to be composed and arranged and taking advantage of, you know, try to take advantage of the the tone and texture of two guitars, you know, playing some hopefully intricately worked out parts. But then there's other, there's, you know, you'd have to just let it run off the rails uh, some of the time, too. So, yeah, we'll see.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a world of possibilities. I, you know, that for some reason made me think of the ensemble record with uh, Alexander from Storzenda. And it, it, is uh-huh. that something we can ever think of? Maybe we might hear some more from in the future. I mean, I know I don't. Kind of a I, I don't know situation. about that. <laughs> e-
1: yeah, I don't know about that either. Because um, once again, you know, him him and his wife play together a lot, and yes. they're of course based in Germany still. And they're very nomadic.
0: I'm having and, them on actually in a little bit, so I'm excited to talk. Okay, about that. that's that's awesome.
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's not impossible. Um, you know, there, uh, it's a question. It's a question of time with me at this point too. Yeah. I work in a in a library. Music has become sort of part time for me. I'm not a full time full musician. Uh, I haven't been for like the past maybe four years. Um, I, I save up my vacation time and go out and play shows once a year. That's kind of how it's worked out. Um, which is why I've been, I've enjoyed being at home for this last month because I've really been working on music right. Yeah. And, and I feel like i it's like, Oh, this is how I used to live, you know, practicing <laughs> yeah. hours every day, writing every day,
2: yeah. um,
1: working on new stuff, listening to new stuff every day. Um, but at the same time, I'm luck. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not because I wouldn't. If I was, I'd be wiped out right now by the quarantine. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, I don't know. Ensemble. It, it, once again, it's practicalities and and, and time.
0: So speaking of compositions, of course, you are you've done a wide variety of different music in different bands uh, with the Jesus Lizard stuff you know, a remarkable group of players involved. What was the normal way that you guys would come together with songs? Was, was it something where, you know, it's like, you know, here's the guitar riff, like let's pound it out. Or is it, was it more structured? Like, you know, here's a I got, guys has got this demo. Let's, you know, let's do this. Like what I have, it's a black box to me. I have no idea how that band operated.
1: Uh, um, in the early, early days, um, I didn't even have a four-track. David Sims had a four-track, which you remember four-track cassette recorders. I remember
0: well, and so I, have, would, I have one about 20 feet away from me, but it's not non-op, unfortunately.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> and so he actually, he had one of those and had a drum machine and that, but I just simply had a cassette tape recorder, and I would just, and with a metronome, I would just play guitar riffs to the metronome and make cassettes. And I even kept that way of doing things, even at the very beginning of Tomahawk. Um, Mike Patton will remember getting these, when we talked about doing something and I said, I'll send you something. And I sent him like a cassette of me (laughs) playing acoustic guitar with a metronome clicking away. Right, And he liked the riffs. He like, I think just having a simple stripped down approach was so, so different for him. Um, And then as time went on, you know, our different, people's recording stuff got better but even in the and then once we got the band going especially the jesus lizard we were around each other so much um when we we lived together when we weren't on tour we'd come home we lived together so you couldn't hardly do anything without the other guys knowing about it um so you know you're noodling around on something in your room and he goes what was that that sounded pretty cool well play it when we practice tomorrow at the when we you know we rehearsed a lot, especially the early days, three, four, five times a week, and we were always working on new stuff. And more often than not, someone would just throw a riff out there, and we'd play it around and say, "Okay, what else? Do you got a contrasting part to go with that, or you want me to come up with something?" Or, and kind of like that. And then over time, we just kept doing it that way. And I didn't really get any better recording equipment until after the jesus lizard and then i moved to nashville and then i i've had the four track and then i had the um the nicer um like a 16 channel digital board i think the korg 1600 and that actually could burn cds and i would and I, by this time i had drum machine and i had a bass and everything keyboards um i played a bit of keyboards to, and I would make full-on demos, and then we'd get together and actually hash it out and then rearrange things and all that. And now I use like the Cakewalk free software with an interface just with my laptop and plug-in. And I've got a nice, oh, the Helix multi-effects. Oh, yeah? um, I got the big Helix uh, guitar effects thing, and that has some great amp modeling, so all, all that stuff. But I still keep it fairly simple. I still like just making simple ideas and then working, out, working it out with the group. Because ideas, when you put the stuff in the air, it changes. Right. And then we always shared the songwriting credits and royalties. You know, I, I saw the Stooges documentary the other oh, night. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and Iggy was talking about how they were, they were, we were communists you know we shared we didn't without saying it we shared it well the jesus lizard were and still are like we always shared royalties equally no matter who wrote what it didn't matter and we always shared the money equally and everything else um i i always viewed it like didn't matter who wrote it if you're sticking together like especially those early days we were living in a dangerous neighborhood We'd go out on tour, we'd make nothing. We're playing clubs where you never knew what you were walking into. You know, especially when we went to the West Coast where none of us had really been to that much. You didn't know if it was gonna be a sports bar where they wanted covers or a biker bar where they wanted to hear blues or a gay bar where they wanted to hear dance music. You know, we didn't know what and half the time they hated us. And we just kept going. So after all that, how could you how could you tell someone Oh, by the way, okay, royalty checks, but you don't get anything when they're literally risking their lives every time they get in that van on the highway,
2: right? Literally
1: risking your life because you're driving around. And all how can you how can you tell someone? um, Okay, you're not going to get as much as I did. We I couldn't, we couldn't, and so um that that's how that works. Songwriting and everything.
0: And did you find that? You know, you worked with Steve Albini uh, for for a bunch of the stuff, and then mm-hmm. you changed producers. So yeah, so shot was the first one on Capitol, right? And that was yeah, th- that was the one that uh, I can't I can't remember who produced. That. Sorry, okay, Gosh, cool. right. yeah, team? there you go. Yep. I mean, obviously, he's done some incredible work, like he did Houdini. You know, he's obviously not a, not a stranger to like weird music. When you guys were making Shot, was was there a distinctly different uh, vibe in the composition or recording uh, based on earlier records?
1: Not in the composition. Um, not at all. It was still just the same guys writing the same way. Um, recording, sure, um, it was definitely a bigger production. Um, there was more time, more money, and just bigger lab. We did things that we didn't do ever with Steve. I think I remember there being a PA in the, in the studio.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, And, and, and there were, there are things about it that I, I really like and things about it. I really don't like. Um, And that was the first recording we ever did. It was the early days of computerized editing and which everyone does now, but not very many people did then. And, it was became a slippery slope. And once you start doing it on one song, then the other ones don't sound, they they sound odd. It doesn't sound like it's the same session. And so then you have to go do other things. And then one thing leads to, and that sort of bothered me. Um, And I don't know, it, it took a lot longer than to me it should have. And we spent more than we should have, I think. But in other ways, you know, it is a, Bigger, heavier sounding record. Um, sure. Yeah. Full sounding, et cetera, et cetera. Though I, I still like the way um, Goat and Liar sound. I think that that especially Goat. That um, was where the spaciousness of the the music itself, the arrangements and the playing and everything, worked with the way Steve's very simple, very rudimentary way of recording and with his brand is style of of what type of microphones and all that. Um, it all worked to me on that one. Yeah, I think there's
0: there's a certain Uh, timelessness to both those records, I think, because it's it's you know, it's band in a room. And I think there's there's that's always gonna (laughs) it's always gonna sound like a band in a room, as it turns out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) By the time yeah, by the time we got to Down, I felt like Down doesn't sound as good as the other ones for whatever reasons. It wasn't quite the same anymore, and it was time to move on. So that was that. Uh,
0: the one thing I def- definitely did want to uh, ask about, I, I feel like nobody ever talks about the last Jesus Lizard record, and I just would, would really appreciate it if you could give me a little context for that last one. Uh,
1: okay. When you, say, when you say the last one, you mean the album... Um, Blue. Oh, Christ. With, with Andy Gill produced. Andy Gill. The
0: dearly departed Andy Gill, yes.
1: Yes. Do we think now that Andy Gill may have died from the coronavirus? Oh,
0: Christ! I didn't even think about that. Wasn't
1: wasn't it wasn't it like a respiratory ailment? It was.
0: I believe you're. was correct? Yeah.
1: Now I remember in the eighties he had had something like that before. I, at least I thought I remembered someone telling me that. But I mean, this was right before it hit everywhere else, yeah, and then that's right. what he died from. Is it possible? I think it is
0: i I think you might be onto something like I don't know. I haven't looked at the timeline or anything, uh but yeah, I think you
1: might be and he, and something. and he traveled and yeah. he was he traveled a lot. I don't know what his travel uh situation was prior to that, but I know gang of four they played festivals in Italy. they used to go over there and play yeah. um it's possible anyway um so yeah, by the time we got to that to doing that album we knew okay so we had made the other where we really tried to be some at least a little more commercial on um shot but in other ways it wasn't it was still a fairly noisy abrasive goddamn jesus lizard record but we'd been kind of written off at that point by you know the indie hipsters who turned their back on us because we were on a we weren't you know, I'm touch and go anymore. And so people hated us without ever even listening to that damn album. And, and now, <laughs> right. now some of those people are coming around to it and saying, Oh gee, this is pretty good. They're a pretty good song. And we play some of those songs live and the audience goes apeshit. So, you know, I think we were vindicated in a way, but anyway, so we were still on capital and, and we still had a budget. And so we were encouraged to exp- experiment and try different things. And, um, there was, we could have also possibly worked with Dave Sardi at that point, and I sort of regret not doing that um, because he's really great, and I think he would have done great as well. But with Andy, you know, we all loved Gang of Four and thought it might be interesting, and we were encouraged to be experimental, try different things, and that's what we did. Um, but the, what also, what sort of hurt, session in a way obviously is that Mac wasn't playing drums anymore Mac McNeely had left the band you you, you had Jim from uh, the DK3 uh, we had Jim come in Jim lived in town it was a practical move as much as anything he lived in town he'd seen us play he knew all the records Um, it seemed like an, an easy fill but at the same time playing Mac's parts is not easy I don't think for anyone and when Surprise. we were playing live, it just—it it never sounded the same. Yeah. It certainly never sounded the same. It never—and it never felt the same. The vibe was different at that point within the band, and the—you know—the days were numbered, and we all knew it. But, um, but at least with Andy, he focused on songwriting more than anyone we had worked with. Um, hmm. Trying to incorporate things trying at least some of the time to have songs that had an actual chorus to it and actually have something to lead into the chorus with other things that other people took took for granted, pre-chorus, bridge, you know, intro, middle aid, all those kind of terms, which we never did. Uh, we typically There was the first part and the second part and then this part, <laughs> right. and, you know.
0: And one of them may um, accidentally be those things, but it certainly was never thought of ahead of time as like, oh, this is the that no.
1: thing. No. Yeah. But but Andy did he did approach it that way and he did sort of coach things vocally and lyrically a little more than anyone else had. We spent time with different guitar sounds and textural things, um, and it just kind of. By this time, I think everyone had moved on for a number of reasons. I feel like um, the music scene had changed in that things that were popular the first half of the 90s weren't anymore, especially in Chicago, where it seems like post-rock, or what became known as post-rock, seemed to be what everyone wanted. Whether it was Tortoise and Califone or Jim O'Rourke or whatever, it seemed like everyone was trying to outsmart each other, and just rocking out was almost frowned on. And so um, we just kind of... Fulfilled our contractual obligations and then and then called it a day. And then I moved to Nashville.
0: Yeah, so that said, Cold Water does still rip and it's still a great song. And there's there's other great tunes on there as well. So it's, it's nice to see that.
1: Oh, yeah. there's some songs, yeah. Like I, I, I felt like um, the first song, I Can Learn. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I almost would like to revisit that in a faster version. I feel like there's one that I thought influenced Someone I thought that that there's a chorus and the guitar in a way I thought I heard echoes of that on that Nine Inch Nails, Nails with Teeth album. Oh, I can kinda, hear it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, um, and I like that album. Don't get me wrong. I, I and I, you know, I I respect I have respect for that guy Trent, and I liked that album, but I thought why does this riff sound familiar? Cause I, I just didn't, hadn't listened to blue in ages Yeah, and it sounded like that. You know, he may have heard it, but uh, I don't know. I don't think maybe he's... it's a subconscious thing. Mm-hmm. Who knows? <laughs> Could be. Yes. Everything is. So
0: last thing Dwayne, And I, and I appreciate you uh, spending time with me and, sure. on the show and, uh, and, and talking about all this stuff. It's, it's, it's great. And it's again, I, I can't stress enough. It provides a lot of entertainment and value for people in a, in a rough time. So thank you for doing it.
1: Uh, I, oh, my pleasure. And thank you. I'm, I'm appreciative for the attention and for getting a chance to talk. Trust me.
0: The, the last thing that I want to ask you is something I always ask people, the It's the only thing close to a canned question I have, which is just, why do you do what you do?
1: Um, more than anything, I think it's a combination of to escape boredom and to get attention. I think it's that simple. And I think that for most musicians, it's that. Um, whether with attention comes other things. And, and that was more like when you're young. And like When I was a younger person, even teenager, like a young man, even before being what even would be a young man, like a teenager, you're not really a man yet. You're not a boy, but you're not a man. But you want attention. You want, And you want everything that goes with it. You want the girls or boys if you're into that whatever you want the goods you want the status you want all those things and I'm no different. I was no different than anyone else um, you wanted to be known for being good at something you wanted to be appreciated you wanted to put have your craft and your uh, whatever artistic integrity be respected A quest for respect Um, Whether people admit it to themselves or not, I think that's as big a part of it as any for anyone, whether it's me or Miles Davis or St. Vincent or whoever. I think that is what drives people. Um, And the other part, is just escaping boredom, the boredom of reality. And um, early on, I just noticed, like with my parents, I, I grew up in a fairly normal middle class home. My parents had jobs. They came home at night. You know, we they looked after us. We lived in a house. They drove cars. We were we had a nice normal middle class thing. We went to schools, we went to public school. We always had, you know, decent clothes, you know, my lunchbox always had a sandwich in it. You know, it wasn't fancy. We weren't you know, they had to watch money. They I would overhear them arguing about money, you know, did you write that check? I told you to wait, don't write any checks this week, that kind of thing. But we were never poor. But at the same time, I saw that they worked at jobs. They, them, and everyone around us, all my neighbors, relatives, they worked jobs they didn't like. You know, in the Detroit area, it was various, you know, industrial or transportation related jobs. My mom was a secretary, teachers' aide, Work your lives away at jobs you don't like just to find yourself laid off. In my in my parents' case, like in Michigan in the in the eighties, when unemployment was so high. And the, um, the recession was so bad, the Reagan years, the years of, uh, what did they call that? The misery index, <laughs> inflation times unemployment, the misery. And Michigan was off the hook. So I saw people work their lives away at jobs they didn't like, with people they didn't like, putting their dreams on hold for the good of their families, and then just to find themselves high and dry, made redundant. And I, I thought, I'm going to do everything I can to not have that happen to me. Because it seems like no matter what else, anything's going to be better than that. And so for me, it was just, I, I had to escape that. And for the most part, I did it. Um, you know, I'm not a rich rock star by any means, but I made a decent living for, a, you know, I was a professional musician for at least 25 years and managed to save a little money. I met my wife through music. Um, made a lot of friends, et cetera. Um, and, you know, so now I still do some music, but I work, you know, a decent job with people I like. Um, I've got a few more years where I have to work and I, I, I can actually plan on retiring at some point in a few more years, which is unusual. is <laughs> isn't necessarily <laughs> right. a common thing these days.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
1: um, but as much as anything you want to, you want to be noticed and you just, and just to not escape the, the, the boring, the normal reality of of the 20th, what was then, the 20th century, you know, post-industrial landscape. Does that make sense?
0: Makes a lot of sense. And uh, it's, it's very poetic in its way. So I appreciate you sharing that with us.
1: Oh, thanks for asking.
0: Dwayne Dennison, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Stay safe.
1: Conan, thank you. Uh, we'll have to do it again in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds,
0: good. <laughs> Sounds good, man.
1: <laughs> All right. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye bye. Oh,
0: there he goes. Dwayne Dennison. Let's hear a tune. Landshark part two from a little band called the DK three, AKA the Denison Kimble trio. Before that, we had Tomahawk. God hates a coward. And for that too, from the Jeez lizard, it was puss. And then comes Dudley. That's a little Dwayne Denison black for you. Not even close to touching everything, but got a few things there. Uh, yeah, what a cool guy. All right, so let's listen to let's listen to some other stuff. What do we want to listen to? Oh, you know what? I got another. Um, this is a situation that I'm going to play something that you may not know, but that you should know. And this is the cover of "Lonely Woman" the Terminator and Coleman, also by the Desmond Campbell Trio. Don't worry, we'll get back to the rockin' soon enough. best, the 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 Traveling Salesman, and before that, we had Ensemble Act Three. Is this thing on? And before that, Jesus did this had hit. Cool. Can Put it in that. the books. It's done. Well, that was cool talking to Dwayne Dennison again. Couple more years. Oh we <laughs> Didn't break any news this time, but uh, it's still very yeah, interesting. Appreciate that guy, everything he does. So <laughs> it's called Neutrons Protonic Reversal. Test, 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 test. It airs on RadioNope.com traditionally oh. Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain Pacific. Lately, oh. As we come to the close of our
2: broadcast day,
0: you can find the podcast in the archive of the episode, RadioNeutron.com. This
2: is my farewell transmission.
0: Okay, the place to you find your podcasts Stitcher, Spotify, etc., etc. Signing off, Mr. and
2: Mrs. America, all the ships at sea. iTunes. Anyone within the sound of my voice.
0: If you like that show, uh, share with a friend. Let people know about the show. It's always helpful. Thank you. There's I've got 50,000 watts of power. Subscriptions to the show are free. Casting. Thank If you want to get the episode sooner, I want to ionize the air. Patreon.com slash no sponsors, no kidding.
2: This microphone turns sound into electricity. That's Jerry Cassari. Oh, thanks. Can you hear me now? Damn. Out on Route 128.
0: Stay it's safe. Dark and lonely. Later.
2: I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Ten, I'd like to thank our sponsor. There is no special girl. It's the the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what leaves the transmitter.